Abbey Dental, sponsors of Women Today, for all aspects of today's dental care. Highly recommended throughout the Isle of Man. Faster, my good afternoon. It's just gone five minutes past two and uh, we're back on the Conister Rock today as it is a Friday. So myself, Christy Dehaven, with, of course, one of our best-loved personalities from the island where we'll be spending an hour sharing music and memories with them. And to ask today's guest to share music and memories with us in just one hour is a mighty request because Mitch Murray's life is music. Well, mostly. Having said that, he's also the author of five books, the master of the one-liner, a much-admired after-dinner speaker, the youngest director of the Performing Rights Society, an avid autograph hunter, photographer of sorts, more of that in just a moment, father to two West End stars, and so much more. And yet, Mitch, going right back to the beginning, as a child, you escaped a German bomber which seemed hell-bent on putting pay to any of this incredible life happening in the first place. Uh, first of all, thank you so much for being with us this afternoon. Real pleasure to be here. And uh, very thankful that that German bomber missed its mark. Well, it was <laughs> he was machine-gunning at the time, so I think he'd used his bombs up in, in the middle of town and he was just getting off a few uh, rounds of a machine-gun. Unbelievable. And this was in Reading, wasn't it, where you you grew up? Well, yeah. And actually, having said that, you know, you say it sort of missed its mark, but your mother, from what I understand, was supposed to be at an appointment with somebody who was actually very sadly killed in that attack. So that that may may well have been her fate if she'd been there. Well, it was the mayor's secretary phoned her to say he can't make the appointment that she had with him. And it was the secretary who was killed in the bombing raid. Uh, the mayor escaped because he couldn't make that appointment, and my mother escaped as well. Gosh. Uh, so there we are. Uh, they, the World War Two was full of stories like that, none of which I remember. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty difficult one to forget, though, to be fair, Yes, isn't it was it? a good one. I do remember that. And I was three, and so I, and so I can pinpoint when I remembered, you know, when my memories started to uh, mm-hmm. operate, and that was a really good one. And obviously that's something, a very dramatic story, but but what were some of your sort of happiest childhood memories then? What sort of stick out, sticks out for you? What, the really happy ones? Yeah. Oh, you know, hanging around on a, a beach and um, playing with little animals that you saw for the first time, you know, and you, you'd meet a little bird or a little um, a, a pussy cat, something like that. So those those things are always warm memories, weren't they? So very much out in nature and sort of outside, in the great mm. outdoors. Well, it was before there were hamburgers and hot dogs, you see, so <laughs> had to have something else to go They go were by. very quick to follow, though, weren't they, no, at the they end were, of the day? Yeah. So when did you first sort of really experience music and when did you sort of think that could be my life? Well, my first memory of a favourite song was... Um, Round about that sort of time, uh, maybe 1944, I suppose, something like that. It was um, it was a song uh, called um, "You Are My Sunshine," and uh, it was always my favourite. And I and I remember you're never sure if you remember it or if people remind you uh, of of what you liked at the time. But I'm pretty sure that I did love it, love it, and I have done ever since. Well, let's hear a little bit of that. Now, the version that you've chosen is one that I hadn't previously heard, and it's by one of the ultimate singers of all time, isn't it? Hmm, Bing Crosby, who once turned down one of my songs. I was going to ask you that. He turned down one of yours. Tell us that story. 
Oh, well, it's no story. And when they turn it down, you've got no story. It's only when they take it to the top of the charts that you've got a story. <laughs> what was it? What was the song? It was, uh, hang on a second. Now, there we are. That proves why he turned it down. I can't even remember. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't something that then went on to be it for somebody no, else. It wasn't. No, no well, otherwise I'd have, I'd, have, I'd have told you that first. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's hear that wonderful delivery then. This is Mitch Murray's first choice this afternoon. Bing Crosby, You Are My Sunshine. The other night, dear, as I lay sleeping, I dreamed I held you. You know, I have to say, Mitch, my mum will be so pleased that you chose that song because she used to sing that to me as a child. Really? And it's Yeah, I think she has it as, as her ringtone, in fact, for every time I call her. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> so there you go, Bing Crosby, You Are My Sunshine. And we were just chatting about it in the background there. Because I think a lot of people think it's, you know, sort of very joyful and very lovely and very mm. sweet and innocent sort of song. But it has an interesting background, doesn't it? Yes. Well, you've got to have a few lines like that sometimes in songs, haven't you, really? Yeah. I think Make it them wake of... up halfway through. Well, but there you go. That's the thing, you see, because obviously you are known for being an incredibly successful songwriter. And in fact, before we chat more, for those people who most people know a, a number of your songs, but we've got a little compilation here of some of your, your top hits. So I'm just going to let it play just to remind people uh, of the success that you have had. I like it, I like it. I like the way you run your fingers through my head. Even the bad times are good. Soon as I get to you, baby. How do you do what you do to me? I wish I knew. If I knew how you do it to me, I'd do it to you. on playing these songs back to back it would take us about a week to get through them all you've had the most ridiculous number of hit well, songs well the following week I wrote even more <laughs> that was, so those took you about a day and a half did they <laughs> yes how, total <laughs> how long does it take then to craft a hit song well the main bones of a hit song happen in an hour or two really because you know you've got something really magic very very quickly 
then the hard work begins. <laughs> then you've got to make things work and make things fall into place. And that can take, uh, that can take a long time. So is there a sort of formula? I mean, I know obviously, it, well, it took you an entire book to write how to write a hit song, but, but is there a sort of formula that you can stick by? So could you learn how to craft a hit song? Um, no, you can you can you can get a lot of uh, thing. You, you can get a lot of hints for um, saving time, not having to waste your time going up the wrong wrong way. But really, and everybody who says it's not inspiration, it's perspiration. That's rubbish. It's ninety nine percent inspiration because you can come in and start writing one day, and you can go on and on, and nothing will happen. Another time you'll come in and you'll crack. A good example, Les Reed and Barry Mason, who wrote The Last Waltz, um, um, a whole load of songs in one, of Delilah, they, they, and they had the bare bones of each one of those within about two hours. Oh, gosh. And then they came back later and developed them into songs. But that bit of inspiration happened in a very, very short time. Because I've heard people say in, in other interviews talking about songs that... Some people feel like that the, the sort of the, the best songs just sort of fall onto your lap. Yes, that they just sort of drop from somewhere. Has that happened with you? Yeah, well, they do. Uh, and w what you're doing really is you're it's a little bit like a jazz musician, and you've got a basic um, you, you're you're playing around with uh, tunes and things, and you're improvising. And as you improvise, and when you're writing songs. You're, I'm trying to do it. I'm trying to listen to what I'm writing as if I were a third party. I want to, I want to hear that for the first time, even though it's coming from me. And when you do that, you, you then won't settle for anything less than something really catchy. Mm -hmm. And you just throw the stuff away. You end up throwing most of this stuff away because it's just not good enough. And unless you're realistic with what you're doing, you're going to have a catalogue full of old draggy stuff and uh, so this way it concentrates it concentrates what you're doing H have any of your more successful songs surprised you at how successful they've been well down came the rain uh, certainly certainly did that because that was written as a comedy even though there's not a funny line in it it was written as a comedy performance of an idea and um, in Italy somebody said hey that is a very nice tune, and they and it was a big group at the time called I Giganti, and they copied it. They no, they they covered it, and uh, they did a completely straight ballad, a passionate ballad based on that song. Uh, and uh, later, many many years, and and it went to number one and sold three hundred and sixty thousand copies or something in Italy. And some years later, I suddenly started getting money from Italy better money than I'd ever had and it took me time to find out why um, and it was a, an artist called Mina who's a very very big star in Italy and she'd covered it on an album and it was it took off and everybody started covering it so I've now got loads and it's one of my biggest earners even though it was, only went to number I don't know seven over here or something like silly 17 who knows and that must be really satisfying <laughs> for you because it was also one that you performed Yes, well, it was that wasn't the reason it was satisfying. It was satisfying because of the money it made. <laughs> <laughs> well said, that man. It it does beg the question though nowadays as to, as to whether or not 
songwriters can ever really have that same sort of success because it's such a different industry now, isn't it? Very different. Very different to compare. It's very, very different. Mm. Um, so different, I couldn't even tell you what the difference is. You know what I mean? Because it's just there were there was a bunch of us in those days. There were you know people like Les Reed, Barry Mason, Roger Greenaway, Roger Cook, uh, Tony McCauley, and we are all still friends actually. Um, uh, but but we were all sort of bespoke songwriters. We would write for an artist with an artist in mind. Usually, the artist happened to be at number one in the charts because we knew if we got somebody who was number one in the charts and we wrote their next single, we had a much better chance of making it. And that's part of the trick, of course. So the songs you'll find that written by people like me at that time were written for very often for somebody else completely. <laughs> you know, I wrote uh, You Were Made For Me with, with uh, The Searchers in mind. And they turned it down and it went to Freddie and the Dreamers and, you know, helped their career instead, you know. And that's the thing, that must have been a wonderful thing to know, that you, you essentially launched the careers of a number of, of bands that became hugely successful. Mm. Well, a good thing was Tom, Tom Jones, who I uh, never recorded any of my songs, and Gordon Mills, his manager, used to turn everything down that I ever approached him with. Um not through anything personal, he just didn't see them, you know. And so all those songs, I later later went to Tony Christie. We found Tony Christie and started producing him with all the songs that Tom Jones turned down. <laughs> and if you listen to Tony Christie, you can hear why. And not, not why he turned them down, but why Tony Christie became, uh, you know, used those songs. So. Uh -huh. Absolutely. <laughs> Huge hits they were as well. And he was a terrific singer. Fabulous voice, too. Yeah. yeah. And that was when you sort of launched into producing as well. So we'll talk about that a little mm. bit later. But, but before we go to the break, Mitch, I, we've just heard a selection of, of just a few of your hit songs there. Is there any one of them that you're sort of more proud of than the others or one that you are, are sort of particularly more fond of? Yes, I've always got a soft spot for the first number one. You know, I think you'll find most songwriters say that, which was How Do You Do It by Jerry and the Pacemakers. And that launched it. Um, and then, of course, because it was How Do You Do It by Jerry and the Pacemakers, and, the, and in fact, the Beatles recorded it first. Um, and then Jerry and the Pacemaker, and, and I turned that down, and they turned me down at the same time. So they so, didn't so want another explain song. Explain that. You, you didn't like what they'd done with it. Is That's that... right. And I felt that they'd messed it up purposely because they were the Beatles. Who they think they are? Lennon and McCartney? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I really felt that they sort of didn't put their best into it. Let's put it that way. And they've admit, admitted to that ever since, you know. Um uh, and and you can't blame them. We're talking about John Lennon and Paul McCartney, you know. But um, um, so anyway, they recorded it because George Martin said, look, when you can write a song as good as this, I'll record it until then. This is what you'll do, which I am embarrassed about thinking even now. And uh, so Brian Epstein thought the song was pretty good anyway. And he asked me if I would let Jerry and the Pacemakers record it. Uh, who I'd never heard of either, <laughs> uh, but they uh, Jerry's version was unbelievably good. So, so when good. you heard his version, did you know immediately Absolutely. that's it? Yeah, because I refused to sign a publishing contract by, based on the Beatles record, and then when they played me George uh, uh, Jerry and the Pacemakers version, I was delighted. Where do I sign? I was very, very happy with that. 
extraordinary and i'm intrigued to know though from from that that point that you know that was obviously your first hit first number one mm. how do you get to that point with those people because it, you didn't come from a background of songwriters who were in the industry mm. so people can write amazing songs that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to end up in the right place and become hits how did you do it to borrow your own lyric oh yeah thank you <laughs> <laughs> um just just i i suppose listening to i mean when i started writing songs i was just writing songs and you know the fact that you've finished a song doesn't mean it's going to make any money and if it doesn't make money you've got no career so um i eventually somebody you know a few people gave me advice i went to publishers and they said yeah, it's all right it's a very nice song very very well written and all the rest of it but uh, who cares about it i said you know something you're right i said listen to more of what's being played and the ones that are hits and that was the best advice, really. Listen to the successful ones. Try to work out why and why they do better than others. So that helped a lot. And then I just kept kept going, you know. And I was in in one year. I would had my first number one. It only took me a year, luckily. Um, and uh, yeah, that was that was it. And how do you do it? Was exactly one year after I'd started writing properly. That is extraordinary. Mm. And uh, we will be talking much more to Mitch all about his career, uh, his music, and of course, hearing his own music choices over the course of the next sort of 40 minutes or so. So if you've got any questions for him, 166-177, or you can email studio at manxradio.com. One Dental Clinic, sponsors of Women Today, offer convenient appointment times in the heart of Douglas so you can fit your dental care into your working day. Uh, you are listening to Women Today, but because it's a Friday, we are on the Conister Rock and we're joined this afternoon by multi-award winning songwriter Mr Mitch Murray. We've had a lovely message in from Karen Mitch who says, great memories and great songs from Mitch. Uh, do you still have the yellow Rolls Royce? I do, Karen. And thanks for remembering. There you go. Was this something no? I, sort I of... mean, uh, do I still have it? No, I don't have oh, it anymore. But I do remember it. it. You do remember <laughs> it. <laughs> so obviously known for your cars as well, your car collection too. Uh, we were talking uh, just before the the ad there about sort of what it was like sort of growing up in Reading, um, your your childhood there as well. Now, when you sent the information through to me. I was interested by the fact that you you described the 50s as being an exceptionally dull era oh, to grow up in. Ditch water. Oh, it was really terrible. On the other hand, we hadn't had much to compare it to at the time, you know. But I was compared it to World War Two. It was nothing. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and um, but I set out to try and make it as interesting as I could. And uh, and I became I I was interested in being a, an autograph hunter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not exactly a career, but I I did that and that and I was living in London, so it it made sense. You know, I was able to to conduct my my hobby by going into the West End and hanging around outside hotels like the Savoy and the Dorchester and seeing the most Im- important film stars of the day, uh, coming and going, going to radio uh, radio. So- uh, stations like BBC um, where you could write to the ticket unit and get free seats for these uh, radio shows mm-hmm. and then you you know you started mixing with all these people and you you know it was really I made it really interesting in the end I pretended to be a, a, a reporter a, a photograph reporter from the children's newspaper which did exist but I had nothing to do with it 
and I used to I used that to get into uh, all sorts of places. And and at one point I was, my father bought me a, a birthday present. It was an electronic flash, one of the very very first available to the public, and uh, so that made me look the business, you know. And because of that, all it led to all sorts of things and fantastic photographs as well. So <laughs> that was sort of your first foray, really, into the showbiz world. Is is that where you think you got a taste for it? I'm sure it was. Yes, mm. I'm sure it was. I think with the music as well. And also the lifestyle, you know, not actually having to do real work. You know, it was just doing, it was doing interesting stuff and keeping it, you know, I didn't want to be in the 50s for my whole life, you know. So, uh, yes, it was, uh, I'm sure that inspired it. So do you feel then that that your career as such in going into music, does it feel like it's been work or does it not then? No, not really. Mm. The only, the, the, the ones that you feel were real work were the ones that didn't make it. So, you know, I don't think positively about those anyway. Mm. And when I look back and I and I see all these crammed together, all the hits crammed together, you wonder how you, how you ever did it. But in fact, at the time, I was there were long periods in between these hits where uh, nothing was happening or or I was writing songs that really didn't make it. Not that many, I think compared to many writers, I was very very fortunate. And what did your parents think about the fact that you wanted to get into this industry? Because, you know, it has to be said, obviously, this sort of showbiz world, quite a bad reputation. I'd imagine you as a youngster, were they happy for you to be in that world? Oh, I think so, yes. My father was pretty good about it. He, he, he gave me time. I used to work for him at the, point, at the time. And uh, I was a travelling salesman. I used to drive all over. And I was only 17. And it was, I was driving all over the country selling handbags around the, <laughs> around the UK. And uh, he was very good. He let me have uh, some leave, uh, so I could make my, you know, make my impact. I, I think he was pretty. Uh, he wasn't actually confident that I was going to do it. Let's put it that way. But he thought oh, you better get it out of your system because you're no good to me. <laughs> do you think that sort of stood you in good stead though? Because I'm assuming as a salesman, it would give you good sort of patter, yes. so that then when you're going to, in to sell your songs to people. It does help. I mean, when you when you you're a salesman, you actually have to brace yourself. You don't want to do it. Some days you think you're just not in the mood to try and sell people things. Uh, this it t- it teaches you when you're a professional salesman to pull yourself together, get up there, and go in there and do it, even if you don't believe in it. So that does help because then you've got to present songs to people. You've got to go into a uh, record man's office and and You've just got to upbeat things as it goes. The only difference is, of course, it's very simple. People either like it or they don't. With handbags, it's very different. You say, oh, yes, but there's going to be a market for this and there's going to be people, you know. That's fine. You can flannel around with that, but you can't with songs. (laughs) Well, speaking of songs, let's hear another of your choices now. We have the Gypsy Kings. Why have you chosen this? Oh, they are so electric when you listen to them. So much life in in them. And I chose it because in the 50s, the dull 50s, there there were one or two bright bright moments. And one was the music of the Italians, Marino Marini, who was so great and all the songs he chose were unbelievably melodic and um and my favorite uh, was il poive means rain i think and um volare was the song same song it's uh, it was called 
Poave, Poave, or something like that. Valare is the one we all remember, and the Gypsy Kings did the most wonderful version of that. I want to be there singing along with them, Mitch Murray. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't it? It's alive. Absolutely brilliant. Now, just before we played Gypsy Kings there, you were saying, you were discussing that that sort of notion of having to go in and sell your songs Mm. to to record producers and publishers and the like. How do you do that? Do you just sort of go in and sort of sing it to them or have you pre-recorded a version Uh, of it? Yeah, yeah. I used to make demos and demonstration records um, of those and very often those things you had all the elements of the record as it was going to be because people have a restricted imagination you actually have to steer them and don't forget in those days the writers once they they said yes we'll record it the writers were out of the picture until it was finished and so you had to give them stuff otherwise it would never go into the record Mm -hmm. so we used to do these demos and we used to make them quite you know, like the record should be at the end. Of course, so many of them completely screwed it up. And uh, others did, did you know, and eventually, you know, this is why so many songwriters became record producers, because it wasn't the extra money you make from that. It was the control that mm-hmm. you lose as a writer, or you did lose as a writer. And so it, this kept us so that we were in the studio, and if it was going to flop, it was our fault nobody else's that that was really the reason for it and what is the one particular one that you think of and think that's the one that got away oh there are a few of those but really that's no interest to anybody really so it's a very personal thing and Mm -hmm. you know and it just it doesn't happen it's like playing around with time you know if if things were like this then things would have been like that forget it it's not positive enough well, speaking of positive, then who is the who do you think is the is the for you best performance of your song? Oh, I think I have to go back to Jerry Marsden and Tony Christie. Tony, oh, those two um, stood out. Mm-hmm. And what incredible people to have worked with. We're getting lots of messages in. I'm going to read this one out. This is coming from Bill. Just tuned in to hear the compilation playing of your songs, Mitch. When I was younger, my parents played them all the time. They were always on the radio. Now in my 50s and every time we as a family drive anywhere, we always put a compilation of your songs on. Cheers, mate. Oh, thank there you, mate. You thank Lovely you. Lovely message Lovely. From, from Bill coming in, in there. In 50s, eh? Oh, I've got underwear older than that. <laughs> And there's the one-liners coming out. Fantastic. Uh, we're going to get the next piece of music on just so I can make sure we get in as much as possible. You've chosen Bobby V as your next song. Yes. Why? Just wonderful song. I love the song. And uh, Bobby V represented a certain era, uh, which was fabulous. And I just found that very, very inspiring. And this one um, it just was terrific. I've, it's one of my favourite songs of all time. Because night has a thousand Another excellent song choice from Mitch Murray there. Not surprisingly an excellent song choice because I, I think it's fair to say you're clearly something of a music lover yourself, Mitch, not just a songwriter. I quite like it, especially my own. <laughs> Do you ever tire of talking about music? No, not really. No. I'm, I'm, yeah, no, no. And do you do you sit and listen to music a lot? 
Not often, no. But when I do, it's music of the 30s. Yeah, I was going to say, is there anyone now? I keep going back to that. Yeah, is there anyone now that yeah, sort of Sheeran. grabs you? Ed Sheeran, I think, is very, very clever stuff. Very mm-hmm. nice stuff. And uh, yeah, I hear things. I hear things now, but I don't even know who wrote, who 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 did them, who sang them. So I'm not actually into it. But uh-huh. uh, there's some very very good stuff still around. Excellent. Well, that's good to know. Well, lots of messages coming in from Mitch. If you want to send anything to him, one double six one double seven, or you can email studio at manxradio.com. We've had a question from some, someone who I think might be a songwriter themselves, so we'll come to there that in just... There will be a fee, of course, for an answer. Well, of course, quite yeah. right, too. We will put you in touch with the right people, but uh, we'll come to that in just a moment. But we'll just get the handbrake out of the way first, so it is just coming up to 20 minutes to three now. The Nation Station, Manx Radio. Abbey Dental, sponsors of Women Today, for all aspects of today's dental care. Highly recommended throughout the Isle of Man. And we are on the Conister Rock this afternoon with multi-award winning, I should say, songwriter Mitch Murray. Two Ivan Avellos, Mitch. What, do, what does it mean to you to have won those? What, uh, does, does that matter to you? No, it does matter, yes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but at the time, um, you know, it was less important. You didn't feel as, as honoured as you should have done. But, but I do now. And which songs were they for? <laughs> um, well, one of them was for... Uh, oh, this is a good one. Was it Bonnie and Clyde? <laughs> I'll never forget it. <laughs> <laughs> that is such a wonderful tune, though, and that's one of those songs that is very much a story song. Mm. And I suppose that's one of the things is you have Actually, written... Come, sorry Go to ahead, interrupt yeah, you. Yeah. It was Billy Adobe a hero, anyway. Of course, Billy Adobe That's a hero. another story song. Yeah. So there we go. And that's the thing is that you've, you, your different sort of styles and genres, you've written across from ballads to those story songs to um, pop rock and roll uh, comedy songs as well. Mm. Is there any one genre that you prefer to write in or that you find easier to write? Uh, I think story songs, uh-huh. yes, story songs like Bonnie and Clyde, Avenues and Alleyways. Um, yes, there's something about that. It gives you a format to follow. Yeah. Once you think of the story, then it's a little bit easier and you know which direction you're going to go. And uh, Bonnie and Clyde, one of those songs that was a collaboration, wasn't it? How, it was. and from a long collaboration uh, with Peter, Peter Callender. Callender. Yes. How does that How does that process work when you're collaborating with someone? Well, very, very well in that in that case. That's why it lasted so long. He passed away, unfortunately, a couple of years ago. Um, but it, we really got on really well um, with these uh, with with this work because Peter was mostly lyrics, and I was mostly melody. Although I'd written both. And uh, in fact, I used to write lyrics for Les Reed, who is the melodist. So I was an all-rounder. But Peter had a very, very good, was a a fabulous lyricist. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that helped an awful lot. Um, can't remember the beginning of your question now, is it? That's okay, because oh. typically, as it, as it always happens with this show, we're, we're very, very short on time. So what we'll mm. do now, you mentioned before the break um, songs from 1930s that you like to go back and listen to music from that sort of era. I believe you first got your sort of first record collection from your father, and so that presumably was songs from that era, Yes, he it? gave me all his 78s from, uh, from the 30s. And I love the music. I was absolutely mad about the music. So melodic and so sincere. And every record is like a little gem, beautifully mixed. And which is more than you can say about many of the later ones that came along in the uh, the dreaded 60s. 
<laughs> and is that why your next choice was was Alice Faye? Is that from a sort of similar yes, sort of time and period? That was, my, that was one of my very favourite favourites of that era, and also the writer um, Harry Warren, who wrote with Al Dubin, um, wrote all the B Busby Barclay. Uh, fabulous show songs. Uh, I met him in uh, Brazil at the Brazilian Song Festival in about 1967. I was so thrilled to meet him because he wrote this and many, many wonderful others. You say the sweetest things, baby. You have me riding high. It does seem somewhat unfair to only play these short snippets, especially to someone who is a songwriter themselves, Mitch. I apologise for having to cut these short, but we're just having such a lovely time chatting with you. That was Alice Faye, and you could just hear in the background Jack Oakey there, because that is a version from the film that it featured in, which I'm not, not sure the name of the film, but the song was called You Say the Sweetest Things. Um, we haven't yet touched on the fact that, obviously, as we mentioned at the start of the show, you've written five books, obviously, after-dinner speeches. You've, you've helped a lot of people, including Stephen, who messaged in to say, as well as writing fantastic music, Mitch has written some great books to help with writing speeches. They helped me write a groom speech for my wedding, as well as many other speeches for work. I've had the books for over 20 years, longer than the marriage. <laughs> I was about to say, I, <laughs> I, do, <laughs> I do hope uh, you have... Continue to have cause to thank me, but I'm not so sure. <laughs> He's obviously learned about the one-liners as well, judging yes. by that, that email. Very good. And uh, someone as well, we had a message from Elaine, which was really lovely, saying that uh, she used to work as an assistant in Woolworths and you, you would come in sometimes looking for extension cables from your studio. And she said she didn't believe you to start with and uh, and you were very polite despite her rudeness. So yeah. she said thank you very much for being polite. Lots of messages. Lots of people asking for advice mm. about songwriting. So we've had quite a few. Jo John Dog as well, who's messaged in saying he's written some lyrics for songs. What can I do? with them do you actually uh, give advice much to to sort of budding songwriters and bu budding musicians well not particularly no if i'm asked i'll uh, i'll usually come up with some stuff but uh, none of it uh, can be uh, you can't have a model uh, because there are no models in this business mm -hmm. you know everything and there and there are exceptions to every rule as well so i i can't offer you much and yet, having said that, uh, one of said books that you've written, How to Write a Hit Song, was picked up by someone who did really rather well mm. from having read it, uh, a certain Gordon Sumner. Yes, Sting. I knew him before he was something that came from a bee's posterior. <laughs> Many, many years ago. <laughs> and he approached you once, didn't he? Yes. Thank well, you. the first time I met him, it was at, a, at an awards show and he came up and he says, hello, Mitch Murray, I'm Sting. I said, yes, I think I know that. <laughs> it was very sweet. And he told me why when he was a kid, he was 12 or 13. He got my book, um, he, uh, How to Write a Hit Song, and uh, it uh, it got him started in song songwriting, which is I'm really delighted with that. And he actually wrote, wrote the foreword to one of my books later, so which is very, very lovely. Oh, just lovely. And, yeah. and I assume that a lot of the stuff that's in that book would still apply to anyone writing songs now. Uh, yes, a lot of it, and a lot of it won't, mm. of course, because... You know the market's changed, and and the way of uh, the way of exploiting songs has changed totally as well. But it's a good collector's item, if nothing else. In fact, you have to really work hard to find one. <laughs> <laughs> well, we mentioned at the very top of the show. I can't believe we're pretty much at the end here, but we mentioned at the top of the show uh, one of your uh, one of the songs you're most proud of is, and has been most successful for you 
was Down Came the Rain. Mm. Now, we're going to play a version in just a moment uh, by Jovine. You mentioned sort of the Italians have picked up on this particular song and done some fantastic versions. But before we do, I want to remind people of your own version of this song, which is just extraordinary. So this is Mitch Murray and Down Came the Rain. That is extraordinary. That is Down Came the Rain. Uh, what were you trying to do when you first wrote that song? What was the intention? Well, I was taking the mickey out of my writing partner, Peter Callender, who couldn't say R properly, you know. <laughs> it's really, really good. So uh, I was I was taking the mickey a lot, but um, that was why it came back. And also, you, what, you, the whole thing, the, there were no jokes in it. It was a comedy song, but it was it was the impact of a sudden surprise or a shock. Uh-huh. And really, hit songwriting is surprise. That's that's half half of it. You don't expect what you're going to hear many of the much of the time. Like comedy is another one, which is why I suppose it led you into yeah. to sort of writing comedy it's as very well. Similar, very similar, very similar. Yeah, thing. the sort of instant yeah. hit, I suppose. Mm. And uh, so your final choice then is a, a, a particular person's version of that song, oh, and Dale it's Jovine. So uh, just tell us how this came about. Well, it came about because in Italy there was a group called I Giganti, uh, who around at the time Down Came the Rain original, um, they recorded a straight version of it, just as a ballad. And so somebody over there must have said, oh, this is a very interesting tune. I like this melody. I like this tune. And there's me going, yeah, yeah, trying to make a fool of myself. <laughs> and they do it as a serious song. And it was, and it's become such a big hit. Uh, not just the one version. There are loads and loads of versions in Italy. And this one is one of my favourite versions because it's upbeat and happy. And we will end with this one. But before we do, I should ask, are you still writing songs now, Mitch? Or have you sort of put the pen down? I put the being? pen down and I can't find it anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Midge, it's been an absolute joy to share this hour with you. I wish we had more time to, to chat, but uh, you'll have to come back and do another one for Thank us. you, Christy. You made it really fun. Thank oh, you well, so thank much. you. Well, we will end with uh, that, again, wonderful and very different version of Down Came the Rain. It is Javine and Una Ragazza in due. I don't know, is that sort that of how you one, say it? One fellow between two women. Yeah, well done. Uh, and uh, and if you've missed any part of this programme, you can go back and listen after the programme. If you go to manxradio.com, you can find the on-demand uh, feature there. But also we will, of course, post a little video clip and you'll be able to listen on the podcast as well in the future. But for now, Mitch Murray, thank you so much for being our guest this afternoon. Thank you.
One Dental Clinic, sponsors of Women Today, offer convenient appointment times in the heart of Douglas, so you can fit your dental care into your working day.